How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 297 of X-Lapsed, where your humble host has already been on the air for several, several hours today. So uh, the voice might uh, not be as strong as usual, or maybe it's just a little more weak than usual. But uh, alas, we have something to discuss. So let's hop right on into today's book. And that is X-Men, The Trial of Magneto, number four, a January 2022 cover date. The story is called... Vertigris? Vertigree? Vertigre? I don't know. Written by Leo Williams with art by Lucas Warnick and David Messina. Colors Edgar Delgado. Letters VCs Clayton Cowles. Designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits Amaro White Sabolski. Cover price $3.99. And this one went on sale November the 17th of 2021. Now we open with a text page. Uh, it's like a, everything's kind of written into a spiral. Um, it's discussing what it feels like to be reborn, I think. It's, it's not an easy page to read. You have to, you know, put a little bit of effort into it, and frankly, it may not be worth it. Anyway, from here, we jump to flashback land, and we're at the hatchery, where the five are discussing what the Quiet Council might do or say about them resurrecting Wanda without their knowledge or, you know, okay. And, well, seeing as though the five are nigh on irreplaceable... They figure there ain't a whole lot the council can say or do. Now here's the thing, though. Before they can actually act, Wanda manages to resurrect herself using Cerebro. Now this makes Wanda the second person to be shown to be able to do this after Legion back in Way of X, either number... I think it was number two. From here we shift ahead to a little bit later, but still in flashback land. And here we have Wiccan and Speed chatting up Prodigy about Wanda being back, but not having any of her memories. You know, no memories of them, of M-Day, or anything recent-ish, really. They also talk about the magic, or enchanted metal, that was found and assumed to have been what was used to choke poor Wanda to death during the gala after-party. And can you believe we're still talking about the friggin' Hellfire Gala? I mean, that was like June. We're in January. That's the gift that just, like, refuses to stop giving. Now, Northstar gets involved with the chat, and he decides that since we're dealing with magic, they should probably call in an expert. Any guesses who the expert might be? Could it be, you know, the ex-character literally named magic? Could it be Doctor Strange? They did show Doctor Strange as being at the gala. Unless, you know, at this point he's already busy being dead. Nah, it's neither of them. Um, John Paul actually wants to call in friggin' Excalibur. Because, you know, they've done so well in the realm of magics. Thankfully, this doesn't actually play out because with a tremendous kathoom, it's time for the kaiju to show up. 
Double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include, allegedly, Magneto, Cyclops, Northstar, Prestige, Wiccan, Scarlet Witch, Speed, Quicksilver, Captain America, Iron Man, and Vision. And I think three-quarters of those characters barely or don't appear at all in this issue. What are you going to do? Anyway, back to it. The kaiju are attacking, and Wiccan and Speed grab Wanda and pull her away from the fracas. From here, we get a sort of kind of info page, and it's a mostly blank page with a series of magic-y looking symbols on it. We got like a ball with arrows coming out of it, a sun, and an eyeball, and I think the arrow ball thingy is actually transforming into the eyeball. I think it's supposed to be like a progression. I'm not sure, though. I'm, you know, not a magician. From here, we enter a place called the Eldritch Orchard, which is where we left off last issue. This is the other place that Wanda was at. And this is where current-year Wanda is confronted by old lady Wanda. So the old lady is here to try to get current-year to let go of her guilt. Now, you see, the kaiju are a manifestation of that guilt. You know, so just like 99% of the garbage in the Marvel Universe, this, too, is Wanda's fault. And so, over the course of the next ten friggin' pages, Wanda lets go. Um, We shift to young Wanda, who is still with Wiccan and Speed, who have already seemed to figure out that the kaiju are her faults, to which she lashes out, claiming that she isn't to blame for any of this. And the kids tell her she's wrong, and in fact, they turn into a pair of little jerks, really driving home how much awful crap Wanda has inadvertently done in recent years. They talk about how she always screw things up, which is why everybody's so scared of her. Wiccan cries out that, uh, you know, it's been left to them, or I guess him, to defend her time and time again. He tells her that she's got to take accountability for her future, which, given the context and character, sort of makes sense, I suppose, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Then, I think old lady Wanda manifests in the real world to tell young Wanda that she needs to stop punishing herself. And, uh, I mean, stop punishing herself. Is that before or after she takes accountability for all the crap she's done? Uh, it, it doesn't matter, because we're about to get some mergy symbolic hoodoo. The triple goddess of Wanda comes together and they say, spin the wheel. Which leads me to wonder if she's going to have to face Jake the Snake Roberts in a coal miner's glove match next issue. Anyway, the Wandas drive the kaiju away. Or at least they weaken them to a point in which the combined X-Men and Avengers can take them down. This really just feels like we're filling pages at this point. Um, In fact, we take most of a full page to bring Gambit and Rogue back to Krakoa from a shopping trip through a gateway. Why? Who knows? Um, I only mention that because I think it's worth noting that Gambit sees all the monsters and says he's going to ride the big fellow like a four-wheeler, which sounds kind of dirty. Cyclops gathers the war captains to kick Kaiju ass. That's the order he gives, which, really? Come on. Let's just get on with it. The Kaiju are taken out, the Wandas make peace, yada, yada, yada. So I guess we're done here, right? Done in four. We don't need that fifth and final issue, so let's just call it a day, right? Last one out. Shut off the lights. We're good. We're done. We're done. Well, wait. No, we're not done. Because there is one more thing we need to address. Okay, so let's get out of the orchard and into the real world here, where Wanda and Magneto embrace. So I guess the uh, fellow who was allegedly on trial for the past several months, even though we never saw anything resembling a trial, is innocent, I guess? From here, we have a, uh, maybe a very effeminate-looking Doug Ramsey rushing in to lambast Wanda for putting Krakoa in danger with her stupid kaijus. Or maybe it's, maybe it's magma, or maybe 
Boom Boom's gone back to having her short haircut? I, I don't know. Um, now, Wanda apologizes, and her kids rush to her aid. And she asks for the opportunity to explain, and so Emma gives her the floor, because we couldn't possibly go through an entire issue of an X-Men comic without Emma getting a line of dialogue. Anyway, uh, we close out with Wanda revealing that she knows who attacked her. And, well, that's where we leave it. And, well, you know, okay... I say this with absolutely no disrespect intended to the creative team. But at this point, does it even matter who attacked her? Uh, Does anybody care? This entire miniseries may as well have happened on Earth 2. I'm sorry, it just feels so inconsequential. It's just this is not essential reading. Again, that's not creative's fault. You know, it's not their fault that there are so many damn deck chairs being rearranged at once here. Oh well, next episode, the penultimate issue of Inferno, which, uh, thank whoever you find holy, because I can't wait for Inferno to be over. I'm enjoying Inferno, but I want it to be over so that maybe we can get to a place where every issue can matter a little bit, instead of just trying to juggle chainsaws until the head of X decides he's done. I don't know. Anyway, we'll talk about that next time. For now, let's talk about this one. And uh, right off the bat, I don't feel like this needed to be an issue. Not to say it's a bad story, because it's not, but it definitely didn't need 20 pages to be told here. This entire miniseries, this was basically a giant size X-Men Scarlet Witch number one stretched into five whole issues. Again, I'm going to say this a few more times probably, not the fault of creative. You know, uh, Leah Williams has said she wanted to use this as an arc in X-Factor, where it would have made a whole lot more sense and... Hopefully it would have avoided being hyped to hell like it was. I mean, this was always going to be an also-ran to Inferno. Because we have these two uh, supposedly big stories coming out at once. One is written by the, the head of X, the playmaker here. And the other is, for all intents and purposes, uh, the continuation of one of the lowest-selling X-books in recent years. I feel like any sales bump that might have come with Trial of Magneto number 1 has probably worn off by now. I'm sure it's still selling more than X-Factor would have, which I guess that's a success in and of itself, but that still doesn't help the story in as far as making it feel important or vital. Now, uh, speaking of important... Or vital. Uh, let's talk about Wanda for a little bit, and uh, I want to ask a question here: How many redemption arcs does one character need to go through? I mean, at this point, this has got to be the what fifth, sixth, seventh time we're making things right with Wanda. And again, this is not Williams's fault. This is a Marvel problem, <laughs> going back to well over a decade at this point. I can't believe that it's you know current year. And we're still trying to make the Bendis boners right. And sure, I'm sure Bendis didn't realize there was going to be a WandaVision TV show and that Marvel was actually going to give half a damn about the Scarlet Witch in, you know, 15, 20 years. But we're still dealing with this crap. Or at the very least, we're, we're still drawing, uh, you know, yet another firm line under the Bendis stuff so we can, in theory, move on. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Wanda's got a TV show now, so we got to fix her. By breaking her even more And drawing more attention to the fact that she's been Basically run over by a passenger train's worth of bad ideas at this point And again, not an indictment on the current creative team But this is what happens when bad writers Are allowed to take over writing chores on characters And choose to let a single story define them 
And again, I'm not talking about Williams here. She's just the latest in a string of writers who's been tasked with fixing these problems and trying to change the perception on this character. I mean, let's look at DC. We got a character like Speedy. Can you tell me anything about Speedy besides the fact that he's a heroin addict? Probably not. And that's not your fault. That's because bad writers chose to let that define him forevermore. What about Hank Pym? Can we talk about Hank Pym without mentioning that he's a wife beater? No, because bad writers chose to make that his entire character. And here with Wanda, she's a friggin' disaster. Because Marvel just won't stop reminding us of that fact, despite the fact that, like, there's this undercurrent of we want to fix this character. You know, so here's the question. Did it work this time? Has Wanda finally been redeemed or redeemed herself simply by letting go of her guilt? I don't know. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, considering the almost purposefully awful job that editorial does, even if this was the case and she's completely fixed now, that'll only remain so until the next superstar writer is slotted in, who, A, will not read this story, and B, is someone that the editors are afraid to correct. And I guess we'll be back in the old new status quo again. That is, of course, until the next writer is tasked with uh, repairing this character by adding even more layers of crap on top of her. Anyway, I think that's all I have to say about the issue. I I hate coming across this negative. I just, uh, there isn't a whole lot about the line right now that's uh, exciting me. I, I feel like the exercise in water treading that uh, this entire line has been since Hickman announced he was leaving has really put a hurtin' on what I'm getting out of these stories, uh, which... I mean, that sucks, and I apologize if that sucks to listen to, because it very well might. <laughs> and trust me, it's not, that's not the show I want to have. And if that's what the show has become, I want to sincerely and humbly apologize, because this cannot be fun to listen to, just me, stream of conscious, losing my mind, <laughs> trying to come up with things to say about um, a family of books that isn't inspiring a whole lot of uh, discussion or passion. But uh, I think that's where we'll leave it. We'll leave it there for now. Let's hop into the mailbag here. We have a few letters to get to, so how about we kick things off with Damien, talking about Hellions number 17. Now, Damien says, I know you'll find it hard to fathom, but I had even dropped Hellions in my recent X-Lapse. But your enthusiasm in this review made me go back to where I left off. I've just read Hellions 15 through 18 in one sitting, and I'm so glad that I did. Such a wonderful storyline. I'm trying to remain spoiler-free as I'm one issue ahead of you, but I will admit that issue 18 made me tear up. Repeatedly. Wells and Segovia have made me care about these characters. I don't know how they did it. I never could have imagined a world where I would want to read more Quanon stories, but here I am living in it. Fantastic. It will be much missed. And yeah, I mean, Hellions is going to be missed... Uh, severely. I mean, that's that's like it's been my favorite book for a very long time now. And ever since we found out that it was uh, going away, I mean, I'm trying to make the best of it, you know, because I have all the faith in the world that uh, Wells and Segovia can put together a satisfying ending. And as you as you mentioned here, um, it looks like they stuck that landing. So I am both dreading and looking forward to reading number 18 because um I am a a big old softy <laughs> a lot of the time, so if it uh, if it moved you emotionally, I'm sure it'll move me as well. And having to say goodbye to such a wonderful book is uh, it's going to be tough. I mean, this has been one of my highlights throughout the month uh, of X Lapsed. Just getting to Hellions Day, 
And knowing that we're not going to have that anymore, and we may not even have any more uh, Wells and Segovia input on the X-Line going forward, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough pill to swallow. But, um, yeah, it's it's a wonderful series. I always say it, but if you're not reading Hellions, read Hellions. Do yourself a favor here. Um, any which way you can, you know, check out Hellions. It's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, next up, Evan Bevan's talking about Marauders number 24. And he says, I was skeptical as this issue opened, thinking, isn't this a sword problem? And this is, I believe this is Kitty and Emma going to Arako and dealing with uh, the former owner of the Mercury. I can't remember his name right now. Um, Evan continues, but I gradually came around as it became clear it was a Marauder story using Planet Arako as a backdrop. I even appreciated that Shaw showed up and contributed to the story. Maybe he did learn a lesson, or maybe he's got another plot in the works. The way Shaw resolved the situation worked fine for me. And then what's-his-face ejected everybody. I didn't even take it as a cliffhanger, just that they were dead. Cue up some Marauder gold balls. or eggs. And I have a very good point there. You do have a very good point. I just think that, you know, this cliffhanger, that, uh, you know, having X characters jettisoned into space, this isn't even the first time we're seeing that. I think we ended an issue of New Mutants that way. I think we've ended issues of almost every book <laughs> with a group of X-Men being, you know, jettisoned into space. And uh, it always just kind of falls flat for me because, you know, they, they could just fire up some new gold balls or they're just going to survive. Or It's, ugh. Um, yeah, <laughs> kind of doesn't work. Evan continues... And did I miss the explanation for why Kitty can't use the Krakoan gates? It's entirely possible that was a central premise of the series at one point. And, well, if you missed it, so did I. I don't recall if it was ever explained. I don't know even know if it's a plot point anymore. Is it something that anybody's even thought about? I know that we kind of focused on it during Kitty's uh, death, right? Where they couldn't, they couldn't get the gold ball to work. So we started making... You know, some theories and, you know, posing some questions about whether or not she was actually a mutant. And um, I don't know that it's been talked about since. Unless unless I've got some weird mental block, which is certainly a possibility. Or maybe just, you know, like you said here, maybe we missed it. <laughs> it is possible. But um, hopefully if we didn't miss it, we find out more about it. Though I will say I am not holding my breath. Next up, we got Mark Jagger writing in to share some thoughts here, and he says, Most of the time, I listen to X-Labs to keep up with what's going on in the X-Books, because I don't have the time that I wish I had in order to keep up with all the books that come out each week. But I definitely prefer it when I've already read a book that you review in an episode. I was thinking of asking you if you can regularly publish a list of the upcoming books you'll be covering. And for some strange reason, over the holidays, I've been able to fit in a little reading, and I've timed my choices perfectly with each new episode that gets published recently. I still would like to be prepared in order to read the books ahead of time when I can, but now I'm starting to think that I should just rely on my instinct. (laughs) The reason I say this is because my son got me many old issues of the mid-80s run of X-Factor for Christmas, and I realized I wanted to start at the beginning of the run first. Marvel Unlimited is great for that, of course. I read the first couple of issues on Friday, New Year's Eve, and then episode 5 of the X-Lapsed Masterworks came out on New Year's Day. 
I spent my afternoon doing chores around the house, such as taking down the Christmas lights, listening to the podcast, and to my surprise, part of this podcast was an episode covering X-Men number 19, during which you talk about Vera, the librarian who has a blind date with Hank, and how you first read about her in the 80s run of X-Factor. Your memory is extremely good because you described her in that issue perfectly. I know that for a fact because I had just read the issue the previous day. It was X-Factor number two. <laughs> I love it when that happens. I mean, think about it. How many X-Books are there? Like tens of thousands, right? And uh, what are the odds that uh, that these two books are going to come up in, in such quick succession? Like you read one, and we're talking about one, and we re- it's. I love it when that happens. That's just so cool. Uh, Mark continues. I'm having some fun reading this 80s run of X-Factor. I hadn't read it before, and it's been helping me to unwind during this holiday. I also read the recent run of X-Force over Thanksgiving, and I loved it. At the start. (laughs) Pretty much after the Swords crossover, it tanked for me. It was so promising at first, but as I find in most books, somebody has to screw it up. I'm saying that's somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but, uh, well, the truth hurts. Now, I've talked about how near and dear to my heart that uh, 80s X-Factor is, and how it became near and dear to my heart out of um, necessity and obsession, uh, (laughs) primarily, because uh, X-Factor was the only one of, like, the big four books back in the early 90s that you could find cheap in the back issue bins. You know, uh, X-Force and X-Men Volume 2 were relatively new, you know, when I started. Uh, I started in uh, 92, so those were only, like, a year old at that point. But even so... Uh, they were all very expensive in the back issue bins. So um, my first X-Men comic was X-Men Volume 2, number 13. And if I wanted to get X-Men Volume 2, number 1, well, that was going to cost me at least $5, despite the fact that there were like skatey 8 billion copies of that book printed. And, uh, I mean, you can find them literally in, in penny bins right now. You know, people, well, maybe not now, because now we're kind of we're kind of faking it until we make it in as far as getting comic values back to where they used to be in the 90s because we clearly didn't learn our lesson. But in recent years, you'd find those things in, in penny, nickel, diamond, quarter bins. So back then, those were hard for me to come by on my you know lunch money pittance that I had. Same with Uncannies, because uh, a lot of the recent Uncannies were Jim Lee art, and then we went into Sylvester art, and of course, you all know, back in the, uh, in the early 90s, we were all about who's drawing what. So those were hard to come by. X-Factor, though... Nobody seemed to care about, at least in my neck of the woods, where like I bought X Factor number one for like five bucks, and that was like a six or seven or eight year old book at that point. Which I mean, <laughs> in my older age now, seven or eight years ago doesn't seem like that long ago. But as a kid, you know, an eight year old book from the eighties with a number one on it—that's uh, that's going to be special, or it's going to feel special. So X Factor was the one book that I felt like I could collect uh, because. I could afford it. You know, I could actually afford it. So those those mid-80s X-Factors are very, very special to me. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to hear that you're enjoying that run. Are they the best stories? Probably not. Are they the most memorable stories? Absolutely not. I mean, we had the Judgment War. You know, six or seven issues of X-Factor in, like, some weird medieval, you know, competition uh, you know, arena universe. I mean, they weren't the greatest in the world, and they weren't the most essential. But, um, yeah, I... I have a, a weird fondness for them, and I'm really glad that you're enjoying them as well. Now, as for the current run of X-Force here, I'm trying to remember the shift between X-10s and, you know, before and after X-10s. 
And I can certainly remember there being some very strong issues of X-Force before the event. I can't... And, you know, maybe that says it all right there, that I can actually remember some of the stories from before and uh, I really can't from after. Uh, We talked a lot about the very, very strong Colossus and Domino scenes in those uh, earlier issues of X-Force. Even the death of Xavier and the the first time Beast uh, did something nefarious... A lot of very important stuff, a lot of really good stuff. And I mean, I'm not the hugest Percy booster, but I think he did a really good job on these stories. Where he humanized the characters, he actually made the cast feel uh, essential to the to like the mission statement of the book. So yeah, very, very strong first year. Um, after X-10s, though, I, I know there's been a lot of botanical stuff. That's really all I could tell you. And Quentin Quire changed his costume. That's uh, about it. So, yeah, I I guess I'm right there with you. I I don't know that I'd go so far as to say it tanked, but um, it certainly dipped in quality for sure. Uh, Now, Mark wraps up with, Thank you for cranking out so many podcasts. It's become part of my regular schedule to listen to the episodes. I hope you have a great new year. And, uh, well, thank you so much. Uh, You know, learning that I'm a part of uh, People's Day is... uh, is like the hugest compliment in the world. That really does mean a lot to me. And um, I can definitely uh, put together a list of what's to come on all the programs here. It'll be a tentative list because you just never know when something pops up here. We don't know what weeks like Marvel Unlimited might do a book and they might not do a book. So I could definitely do a tentative sort of list for what's to come here to make sure everybody's uh, prepared for the episode. So I will get on that uh, hopefully later on today. But uh, thanks again for writing in and for uh, sharing your story. I love hearing, I love hearing about people discovering runs or revisiting runs and just uh, what they thought of them. It's funny. Uh, Reggie and I used to say like there were certain like trite questions or, or questions that people think are trite to ask uh, a comics fan about like you know how did you start reading comics? What did what did you read recently? And I tell you, those are the questions I love. <laughs> I love hearing the answer to. I don't think those are trite at all, but I think. We've been trained over the years to maybe think those questions are are silly or unimportant, and I couldn't disagree more. I love to hear those sort of of stories. Uh, Next up, we got Billy D. talking about Merry X Lapsed. He says, Hey Chris, fun batch of books for this year's Christmas episodes. I've never read that Thor comic, but I do have a few from that era, and it's not my favorite. Now, the Thor book we discussed during Merry X Lapsed featured... Well, I mean, if it, it featured allegedly, it featured a mutant. I'm not sure if it was actually a mutant, but uh, the wiki said it was, so uh, we went with it. We kind of stretched the definition <laughs> of what we cover on uh, this program, and we covered—I don't even remember the character's name—but it was a ripoff, or not a ripoff, an homage, let's say, to the Grinch, the Seuss character. I think he was like the Grunk or the Grook, something like that. But uh, Thor, this is the Eric Masterson Thor, fought this Grinch, uh, you know, homage. And it was so dumb, but it was also so fun. (laughs) It was a blast. Uh, If anybody out there hasn't listened to that episode, uh, even though it ain't Christmas anymore, it's still still a fun story. Um, And I, I will agree with Billy here. I don't know a whole lot about that era. I don't think it would be my favorite either. Um, I did read a little bit of the Thunderstrike series, I think the first two or three issues. I think I mentioned that during that show, and it didn't do nothing for me. Uh, Whether or not that was due to my inability to connect with the character, or if it was just a case of Tom DeFalco being a little too old-fashioned for me, 
because uh, he this is a very old school feeling book, so it's not going to be for everybody. But um, it's silly and it's fun. Uh, Billy continues. That X Factor issue sounds okay, but I'm not a huge fan of Simonson's pencils either. And uh, yeah, that's one of my secret shames as a comic fan. I think um, it may kill my credibility for a lot of folks listening, but Walter Simonson. I'm not a huge fan of uh, the way his style uh, matured during the 80s here. I compared it to John Romita Jr.'s style, where it is kind of boxy, it's kind of um, minimalistic in a way. It really just doesn't work for me. I can respect it and dig it like on a comfort level, but um not a huge fan of it. Billy continues, The two uncanny books sounded decent, but as far as Gen X goes, I've never really been much of a fan. And the two uncannies we covered there were... I'm trying to think. <laughs> it's only been like a week or two. Um, the Outback one. We did an Outback Christmas, which was uh, which was pretty fun. A little syrupy sweet, but fun. And then we did the uh, final issue of the Siegel-Kelly era, where Colossus meets the ghost of uh, Ilyana, which was a little bit less good. <laughs> a little bit... Uh, I didn't really care for that one so much. Uh, the Gen X book, just like last year's Gen X book, was a Christmas one in that it happened at Christmas time, uh, but really isn't very Christmassy, which may not be ideal for a Christmas special, but um, hey, you know, it's still uh, it's still fun to revisit some of those uh, books that we don't really get much of an excuse to go back to uh, all that often. I know we have a couple more Gen X Christmas specials that we will be covering if this show makes it for another few years, but um, those, I believe, will be more Christmassy. I think one of them even has Santa Claus in it, so we'll get to that when we get to that. Hopefully uh, hopefully we do get to that. Now, uh, Billy wraps up with, I hope you had a great Christmas and a happy new year. And yes, I most certainly did, and I hope everyone here listening did as well. But uh, I want to thank everybody for writing in. I want to apologize for taking so long to get to a full-blown mailbag issue, or a full-blown mailbag segment, I should say. But hopefully we're starting to hit those, uh, hit the stride again and get back to normal. Speaking of back to normal, I neglected to include a This Week in X segment uh, this week. So uh, let's do that now. Uh, Marvel Unlimited, they have not updated the page at marvel.com to include what's on Unlimited, so I actually just went to, you know, the Unlimited app to find out what came out this week and found out that Inferno number 1, Sword number 8, and Wolverine number 16 were the X offerings there digitally. And then This Week on Shelves, which... um. I guess when this episode releases, it'll be today. These are out. And we have X-Men number six, all three covers of it. And thankfully, we finally get Inferno number four. We get ten freaking covers of it, so good luck getting the real one if you go to the shop for it. But uh, yeah, once that's out of the way, hopefully the rest of the line can maybe just get on with it. (laughs) And not... Uh, I don't remember what I juggle chainsaws. Is that what I said? I don't know. I'm trying to say things other than tread water because I feel like I say that an awful lot. But um, hopefully we can just get on with it. <laughs> but uh, that's going to do it for me for today. I want to do uh, some shout-outs here. I want to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed, uh, Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. I'm going to be posting some questions uh, over on the Patreon as well as um, on the Facebook group. You see, I kind of want to take the temperature of the fandom right now because... Um, 
as if it isn't, in, you know, abundantly clear, uh, the last month or two worth of Xbooks have not really rocked my socks. Um, and I apologize if that has made this show unpleasant to listen to or even unlistenable. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't hold it against you either way. But I do want to take the temperature of the um, of the X Men fandom. Just see how you're receiving these stories. If am I out of line? Am I just a little too close? Am I spending too much time <laughs> reading these things? Am I focusing too much on minutia and continuity where I should just kind of let things go? So I want to uh, see what everybody else thinks about it. And uh, if you guys are cool with it, I'd love to share your thoughts on the air as well. And, you know, as always, if anybody has any thoughts on the books or on the show or combination of the two, please, I welcome you, I invite you, I encourage you to write in and chat me up. You can find me several different ways. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Ace Comics. On Instagram, you can find me at 90sXmen. Uh, you can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts, show notes, and another place you can leave comments, you can head to chrisoninfiniteearth.com. You could also join us on Facebook. The group is 90s X-Men. And of course, for the complete audio archive, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com or search up Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill on any podcast aggregation application. And finally, there is the Patreon, patreon.com slash xlapsed for behind-the-scenes stuff, some scripts, some exclusive audio, and a great group of folks to talk to. But I think that's going to do it for today. I would like to thank you all so much for uh, sharing some of your day with me and putting up with uh, maybe a little bit of negativity from your humble host. I Hopefully this too will pass. <laughs> and uh, until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!